Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. If you've never done EMDR therapy, EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. If you've never done that, I highly recommend you look into it. If you're just going to therapy, it's a wonderful thing, but I would highly encourage you try EMDR. And this is why I have put off EMDR for a long time. For 15 years, I've just been going to therapy. Okay. And that's been delightful. It's been wonderful. It's done a lot of amazing things for me and it's helped me to understand myself. But I just did a one session of EMDR with my therapist and I was blown away at the feelings that came out. I was blown away at what came out of my mouth. This stuff that I guess I've, I've held in for a very long time and how in touch with myself I felt when I left there. I, I cannot explain it. I will never be able to put it into words, but I spoke to a friend of mine after that and I told this friend what happened and, and this friend was like, what did they do? Hook electrodes to your head and um, tell me about it. So I told this friend about it and there's no electrodes that go to your head. All they do is they ask you a series of questions and you follow their fingertips with your eyes. And what it does in layman's terms is this, you concentrate so much on where your eyes are, are, are going when you're following their fingers that you don't really process and protect your thoughts as much. And I hope that that explains it because when we're sitting there with a therapist and we're concentrating on what we're saying, we're focusing on the words that are coming out of our mouths. I think subconsciously we tend to censor things. We tend to guard things. And I've heard it both ways. I've heard EMDR works and I've heard that it doesn't. And I've always heard that you get out of it what you put into it. Well, I've reached that point in my life where I am open to, I'm open to anything right now. I don't, I always want to, I want to continue growing. So I thought, I was like, you know, if this will help me grow, I'm going to go in and I'm going to talk about this with a, with an open mind and I'm not going to protect myself from hurt or uncomfortableness. So that's what I went, I did. I went in and, um, I learned that pretty much I'm a walking dead man. That's, that's what I learned. I learned that I have so many unresolved issues inside of myself from dating back to childhood, dating back to just trauma, um, and how my being now 
how I'm made up of everything in my past. I found that I'm trying really hard to feel alive, but I'm not doing it. I don't feel alive with anything that I do anymore. I'm very numb. I'm very cut off. And that sucks. I, uh, one of the questions my therapist asked me, and this wasn't even when we were doing EMDR, EMDR. I don't remember if it was before or after, but she looked at me and she said, Travis, can you tell me a time in your life? And I'm going to use this with all of you listening. I want you to think back to a time in your life where you had an absolute blast doing something and you felt alive and in that moment and nothing outside of that moment mattered. Do you remember that time in your life? Because that's what was asked of me. And I sat straight up in my chair and I started thinking. And then I started feeling horrible because I've let so many years pass without knowing what that feels like. And I remember the moment. I captured it in my mind and I had an answer for her. And this was my honest to God answer that I gave her. It was around 2007, 2006, maybe 06, 07, right around that time frame. And I was on a boat with two or three of my buddies and I was wearing a cowboy hat and a banana hammock with all of my stuff stuffed into this little banana hammock. And it was, you know, it was warm out. So I was, I was, I was, um, I was looking nice. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't chilly out that day. It was, it was what we call sitting nice. When you're sitting nice, when the weather's right as a man, I was sitting nice. And, uh, I had this banana hammock on and we were playing some kind of club music on the boat. And I had this cowboy hat on and I was on the bow of the boat dancing. Like I was a, a girl and just, just, just hang tight with me y'all just cause it shit does get a little uncomfortable. Um, but we were laughing, we were drinking, we were having a good time. And then we pulled up this place called Shim Creek and, and it's in Mount Pleasant, which is a suburb of Charleston. And there's bars lined on both sides of the creek. And we pull up in here with five dudes in a boat with me on the bow dancing like this. And, you know, I'm sitting nice. Don't, don't forget that. And I got this cowboy hat on and some shades and dancing to this club music. And people like the hush puppies were falling out of their mouths while they're sitting there trying to eat a seafood dinner with their family. Cause they're looking like what in the hell are these guys doing? And this is the Hey boys incident. Like I was waving to them and I was yelling, Hey boys, you know, and I was just blowing kisses and stuff. And I told, I've always told y'all I'm a very secure dude when it comes to that stuff. I don't really care what people think. So we, we went to the end of Shim Creek. It was like a gauntlet. You got to come back out. So we came back out and I mean, we're less than cruising speed because you can't go fast because you can't create wake, which is waves. And then we get out of there and then we go down by the Charleston battery where there are families out hanging out and everything. This is, um, this is just what we did. And this is your local firefighters putting in their best work on their day off. You know what I mean? And we went by the battery where people are walking around, holding hands with their families, eating ice creams. And we're listening to that same music and I'm up on the bow dancing, having a good time and, that is the time I remember being fully alive and being fully in a moment and not a care in the world. And 
happy. And I don't know of a time since then that that's happened. And that's scary. Because that's about 16, 15, 16 years I've let go, let my life go by without feeling that sense of joy and that sense of um, just fun. That's 5,840 days approximately that I have not felt alive. And I want you to think about how time slowly creeps in and slowly robs us of those moments. Now, what was it after that event or after that that caused my ability to feel alive again? Well, I can tell you what it was. It was a lot of, a lot of trauma. And up until that point, I was still, I had experienced a lot of trauma, but I was able to lock it away and I was able to compartmentalize it for my entire life and never think about it again until it all came out because that was, I never dealt with it. I just kept burying it and burying it and burying it. And then one day it all came out. And yes, I've had good days since then, but I've never felt alive since then. And I want you to think back to your time and how we're robbing ourselves of, of feeling good. How long has it been for you since you felt like that? You don't necessarily have to put on a banana hammock and a cowboy hat and dance for a bunch of strangers on the bow of a boat with your son, with your body lotioned up with, you know, slick 50 baby oil where it's just gleaming off of you. You don't have to look like, like I did to, to have a moment like that. But when's the, when's the last time you truly remember living like that in a moment, carefree and fun and the world was a great place? Do you remember it? Or has it been so long that you can't even remember it? Because that's what we need to get back to. That is the journey I'm on is to get back to that feeling of euphoria, that sense of being alive in a moment and not being a walking dead man for the rest of my life. In a sense, many of us experience suicide without ever actually doing the act. And what I mean by that is we killed ourselves a long time ago. Something inside of us died and we've never been able to live again. And I want you to let, let that sit in because I don't think that we pay enough attention to that. And I don't think we pay enough attention to the time concept as it applies to our, our happiness in our life and how, just how fast 15 years can go by in another 15 years, I'm a 60 year old man. That's hard for me to process in just 15 years. I'm 60. And if I let that amount of time go by again without experiencing joy in my life, that's 30 years of my life that went by that I didn't have a lot of joy in. And we have to refuse to live our lives this way. So how do we move forward, Travis? I'm going to tell you, small battles. You got to win small battles. Recently, I went to a place I didn't want to go in what it was, was I was going to a function where there were some people there. I've always said that are not like me. They're not like me. I don't want to be around that because they don't understand me and they don't get a guy like me and I don't get guys like them. So therefore there's no need to go to this. And I fought it with tooth and nail. I fought going. I didn't want to go. I made up every excuse why I shouldn't go there. And then I realized, I said, you know what? You're not helping yourself grow as a man, Travis. You need to put that bullshit to the side 
and go involve yourself around these people. And you know what I did? I went there and I was around these people and I had a good time. It was nothing like what I had made up in my mind. These people are not exactly like me. And that I think is the good thing. Because when I surround myself with people like me, I surround myself with cynical people, very dark people. These people had nothing but joy in their lives. They're all hanging out and laughing and having a good time. And I remember sitting there being envious of that. And that was good for me. It was cathartic for me. It was nice to be around people that experienced real joy in their life. And honestly, it made me want some more of that. So I would encourage you to do the same. Go find a situation that's uncomfortable. Go find some people that normally, typically, you wouldn't hang around and go hang around them. You know what I, you know what I found out during therapy? This is going to be really hard for me. I found out, I found that, I'll speak for myself, and I know there's a lot of you out there. I'm so, I'm so damaged and beat up that what I do is I find excuses to prop myself up. I find excuses for me to say, well, they're not like me. And it somehow subconsciously makes me feel better about who I am as a person, as a man. And the reason I do that is because there was something missing early on in life for me. Early on in life, I never felt good enough. I never felt strong enough. I never felt big enough. I didn't feel like I did. Um, I didn't get enough praise when I would try hard. I, I wasn't it was, uh, it, it was more or less of, well, you should have tried harder kind of thing. And that just wasn't good enough. And so what happens over time in my life, no matter how hard I worked or how hard I tried at something, I never felt like it was good enough. So what I had to do to myself is lie to myself and prop myself up to make me feel a certain way. And that's not right. And what I realized by doing this is I find a way to disconnect from people that way. And that's what puts up that safety barrier for me. And that's what allows me to never get close to people. Because subconsciously, we're not the same. And I don't want to be around them. And what I end up doing is I end up shitting myself out of good relationships with people. One of the hardest things in therapy to do is go in there and be completely honest with yourself. And to make no excuses for anything. I hear the stuff that comes out of my mouth when I'm in there and talking. That's why I love going. I go there. I go there to really discover who I am. And my therapist actually told me this. She said, I'm very proud of you. You do not make excuses when you come in here for your behavior, for the way that you are. You really try to learn from it and be better. And that was very encouraging. It's hard to go in there and be so honest with yourself. That remember when I was talking about, um, in a, in a previous podcast, would you be pleased with yourself if you met yourself? And my answer was no, I could see how I rub people the wrong way. I can see how I appear uptight. I, I, I can see how I appear very, um, um, shrewd. I, I was, I was working with a buddy of mine out here not too long ago, helping him build his barn. And he told me to my face, he goes, when I first met you, when you bought your farm, I thought you were an asshole. And I laughed and I said, well, yeah, that's my defense mechanism. That's how I keep people away from me. And he didn't understand that because he's not, he's not like me. He's not like us. He was like, why? 
And right then I realized, man, this is a good human being. This is a good person. He doesn't even understand why I don't want to be near people and close to people and pull people into me. And I was envious of him. I didn't get into the whys because there's no need to, to cloud up his son, his sunshine. You know, I just told him that's just the way I am, but I'm glad you don't think I'm an asshole now. And we had a good day after that. I think sometimes we set ourselves up to fail. I think when we go into these, um, these events, like I was just describing, when we go in there, we go in there with a chip on our shoulder. We go in there with an attitude. We go in there with this, uh, I'm better than, I don't know if it's, I'm better than you mentality or if it's just, I'm different than you mentality. So you, you, you set yourself up for failure. And I realize how, just how long I've been doing that, how long I've been propping myself up to fail at many events that we would go to throughout my life in social gatherings. And I don't want to do that anymore. And no matter how uncomfortable these things are, I go to them now. And that's the growth part of it. Because when you can really step outside of yourself and start doing things that make you uncomfortable, that's where you grow. In essence, what we do is we never really get to know ourselves. Think about how much time you've spent throughout your life getting to know other people. Now think about if you would put that much time into getting to know yourself, how much happier you might be in life. Why do I say that? I say that because I was talking with another friend of mine about therapy who this friend is against therapy because this friend says that they don't want to know about themselves that deeply because it might change who they believe that they are currently. And I honestly think that that's very weak. I think that's a weak excuse. I think that that's one of those mindsets that we get comfortable with who we are and we see no room for improvement yet, or I don't want to improve who I am, even though we know we come off a certain way towards a lot of people. And it's that, hey, you don't like who I am? Go fuck yourself mentality. Why not seek self-improvement? Why not get in touch with yourself? Why not find out who you really are, what you're really about? I'll tell you why, because change is scary. The truth is very scary. I'm just starting to really scratch the surface on who I really am because I really started digging into my childhood and it tells me so much. Those young years when you're between, you know, five and 10 years old, they're so crucial to the development of who we become later in life. And I look back at that time frame in my life and it just all starts making sense now. A few episodes ago, I was talking about when I was at the Daytona um, Fire Conference, the Fire Chiefs Association of Florida. This gentleman came up to me and asked me, man, what's the trick? What's the magic pill? Like, what's the secret to being happy? And I told him, I was like, there is no trick. There is no secret there. You just got to keep putting in the work. And that is true. But if you put in the wrong work, what's the outcome going to be? Fuck, there's people that go to work every day. They clock in and they clock out. And that doesn't mean that they do a good job. That doesn't mean that they, 
they progress at work. That doesn't mean they did anything spectacular. That just means that they were on the clock. And I think that that's what happens with us in mental health sometimes. We're just on the clock. We think we're putting in the work, but we're not. you got to put in the work. And that work means getting in touch with yourself. That work means learning about yourself. What makes you tick? Why do you respond to things the way that you respond? Why are you so disconnected from yourself and from other people? How is whatever you've been through in your life, how is that affecting the people that you love? And if you don't care to find out why, that's pretty selfish. It's, it's extremely selfish. Let's say you have a family and you have children and your kids are sick and they need medicine and you don't have medicine at home. What are you going to do? You're going to go to the store. You're going to go get them the medicine because you care about them. But what if, what if you are the medicine? What if you're the thing that's making your family sick and it's, it's, uh, it's affecting your children, it's affecting your spouse, and you not learning about yourself is you telling them, y'all don't get any fucking medicine. You just have to stay sick alongside me. Now, how fair is that? Your words mean something. The things you say and the things you don't say to the people you love, it means something. I was on the phone with my father the other day and we were talking about something and my dad, here I am a 45 year old man, stopped me dead in my tracks. He said, I hope you know how proud of you that I am. And I stopped him right there and I said, dad, I said, I've waited 45 years to hear those words come out of your mouth. I've worked for 45 years for that. And when my father told me that, it wasn't an obligatory, I'm proud of you. He, he genu- genuinely meant what he said to me. Now, sure, over the years, he's told me, oh, I'm proud of you, son. You know, when I was growing up a little bit here and there, you know, whatever. But you got to think in that moment, I've been searching my whole life. I've been working my whole life to make my father proud. And in doing so, in doing so, I've been selling myself short with my own mental health. I was focusing so much my entire life on making my father proud of me. I wasn't working on making myself proud of me. And that's what I'm getting at. We do so much for other people and we do so much for other people's opinions. And we, we, we all, yet we want so much from other people that we rob ourselves in the process. Now, why is that important? And my father told me that because it made me realize that I'm raising my, my children differently than how I was raised. Now, my father was a great father. I'm not knocking him, but he was very strong. He was very tough. Uh, it was one of the tough love situations kind of thing. And he, you know, he, he grew up very hard and very tough and very rugged. I have two little girls and I got to make sure that I don't raise them the way that I was raised is what I'm getting at. And I have to be careful because they are little girls and I make sure that they already know at the age that they are right now, eight and six, that they know I'm proud of them right now. When they do things, I stop them and I tell them, and I don't just tell them, I mean it. When they do things that make me proud, I don't not tell them. I make sure I let them know because I don't ever want them going through life for 45 years waiting for the moment that they make me proud. I think it's crucial 
no matter how hard of an individual you are, to let your people know how you feel about them, to let them know how much you care about them, to let them know how proud of them you really are. And I know being sensitive and being soft and compassionate sometimes isn't the way many of us tick, but it's not about you anymore. It's about them. And you look yourself in the mirror and I ask myself this question all the time. Would I want my daughters growing up like me or being like me? Or would I want my daughters marrying someone like me? And the answer every time is no. So that tells me I got to improve. And when I'm happy with those answers, I know that I will have done something remarkable. I know that one day when I look in the mirror and I say, would I want my daughters to be like me? And that answer is yes. And would I want my daughters to marry a man like me? And that answer is yes. Then I will know then that I have done something absolutely remarkable. And that is what I'm fighting to change in my own life. I'm fighting to change those two answers right there. I got a call from a friend of mine yesterday who I care very deeply about. And he told me that um, he just had, he was just diagnosed with um, skin cancer, melanoma. Uh, He seemed pretty optimistic that he's got a surgery coming up and that they're going to be able to get it all. And so I feel good about that. But I asked him and I said, look, man, not to be like cynical, but have you done everything in your life that you want to do? And you know what his answer to me was? Nope. And that's what I'm talking about right there. At any time, your life can be completely changed, can can be completely turned upside down. And we all know that. So why aren't we doing the things we want to do in life? What's stopping us? What's stopping us is responsibility. What's stopping us is debt. What's stopping us is we got to keep the lights on. What's stopping us is I have this fucking job that I have to go to day in and day out. And I don't really have any freedom in my own life to really live life on my own terms. I think I live life on my own terms, but, but I really don't because I have to clock in. I have to clock out. I have people to take care of. So maybe just maybe on a weekend or something, I get some time off and I get to kind of do some of the things I want to do, but I'm so fucking exhausted and I'm so tired from slaving away at work for the man that I just need a break and I need to rest So this Saturday that I have off, I'll just take off and I won't do something that I want to do. And that Saturday becomes the next Saturday and the Saturday after that and the Saturday after that. And we end up spending that next 15 years of our life in that cycle, the next 20 years in that cycle, working to get to retirement, hoping that, man, when I get to retirement, I'm going to have my pension. I'm going to have all these things laid out. But guess what? Life has other plans, people. Life always has other plans. And you can't put things off. If there's something you want to do, go do it. Make a plan and make it happen. And stop worrying about the consequences of that. The consequence of you not doing it is your life. Your life depends on you doing the things that you want to do. Because at the end of this life, you not doing the things you want to do what did all the sh- what does it even matter like all oh, everything you did in life what does that matter if you didn't live the way you want to live if you didn't live on your own terms that's the biggest uh fear that i have the biggest fear in my life is not being alive 
and I just and I just realized that I've 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 been a walking dead man for 15 years. I knew something was different. Been talking about it for you know over a hundred episodes, but I didn't realize just how much time and just how awful I've I've felt over fifteen years of my life and not living, and it's just become habitual. I was talking with a with that same friend of mine later that night, and I said, "You know, man, I don't find joy in anything. There's nothing I really want to do anymore. I don't I don't want to go." I got a nice ass boat sitting right in my backyard. I could take it out and go out any day of the week I want to. It's not like I live in Minnesota. I live in Charleston where the weather is usually pretty nice. I could take my boat out daily and I don't do it. I have complete freedom in my schedule to go anywhere that I want to go. And I don't go anywhere. I only go to work. I have this farm. I come out to this farm and I can do anything I want to out here. Yet all I do is come out here and sit and look at birds and look at horses. That's not living. That's existing. What is a 45-year-old man like me? What do I do to get that excitement again? Not dancing on the boat, but what do you do to get that where you wake up every morning and you feel that juice? And you you can't you can't think that life is all a uphill roller coaster. You know, like you're on the top at all times. I'm I'm under no impression that I can rediscover myself and get to the top and always be on the top. You're always going to bottom out, ebbs and flows. But I need more ups than I need downs. You know, and and that's what we need to search for. I think as a 45-year-old man, I look at my father. He lives a more productive life than I do. He's 70, and at least he goes fishing. He's 72, 73. He at least goes fishing. He goes shrimping. He takes his boat out by himself. He does things. He goes bowling. I don't do anything. And that's depression at its finest. That is That is living a very fast life at a very young age to where nothing excites you anymore. And then you're a walking dead man. So how do we fix that? How many of you are in that same boat? Like how many of you are are out in a pond, in a boat or a lake with no paddles? They say up shit creek without a paddle. How many of you are out there with no paddle and you're just kind of floating around aimlessly? And every day feels the same. It feels like Groundhog Day. Something's got to change. There needs to be some excitement somewhere in your life. So why not go talk to somebody and start growing and learning about yourself and figuring out how you can do that? Because if you've been in that same cycle for many years, like I've been, whatever you're doing is not working. So why not change it? Why not? I want to talk to you spouses out there who you feel like maybe you're not enough or you're made to feel like you're not enough. I want to tell you that you are, you are enough, you do enough. It's if you're married to someone like me, that's the issue. That's the problem. I realize now that everything my wife would do for me was more than enough. But the way that I interpreted appreciation was wrong. 
I took, I thought appreciation was validation through words, not actions. And turns out that stems all the way back to childhood. Turns out that I was longing for someone to tell me they were proud of me, for someone to tell me that I did a good job and that what I did was enough. And when you don't get those words, all of a sudden we take that as I'm not enough. I don't do enough. I don't do a good job. So you start finding reasons to beat yourself up and you start finding reasons to to make yourself feel like you're not good enough. And you start finding reasons to destroy and to put distance and to self-destruct when the whole time you may have someone sitting there in front of you who is proud of you, who does respect and love you, and they show you those things in different ways. Some people aren't always verbal. And spouses, I just want you to understand, you are you are enough. We are not good at telling you that. We are not good at showing you that. And a lot of times when we're going through something, we need words from you. Because, you know, they, they say actions, not words. Well, sometimes we need words. Sometimes we don't recognize the actions. Sometimes we don't recognize the fact that you did our laundry and folded it and put it away. That that's a sign of love and that's a sign of respect. And that's a sign that you care for us and you're taking care for us. Sometimes we we don't have the ability to recognize your kind actions. And so we hang on waiting for words that we never get. We, we wait on words of affirmation that we never get. And when we don't get those, we feel like we're doing something wrong. You see how communication is so important in a family? Because you can lose a family just by not understanding that simple concept. You can go round and round with your spouse over years when they don't understand that you need you might need some words over a basket of folded laundry. That's it. Work it out with your family, people. Stop pointing the fingers and figure out how you can keep it all together for those kids of yours. Figure out how you can communicate more effectively so you can have a better understanding it. Why we tick the way we tick. I hope y'all have a great week this week and I hope y'all can go sit down with somebody that you love and tell them how much they mean to you and tell them how proud of them that you really are. I hope you can do that this week and watch how it can affect somebody's life. I love y'all. I'm proud of y'all. See you next time.